Slam the door and kidnap us any second. All right. All right. That was awkward. Okay. Yeah, that Great. was less yeah, funny that, than that I was, thought it was going to be. It was good in the moment. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, I no, was here in no, the moment. They, they raised their hands. They're participants. They were waiting for something better. Well, you and guys I didn't uh, come through. Welcome to the uh, Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musset. And I am Scott Powell. And. <laughs> You, you get cheers. I uh, do get cheers. So we are here, for those of you who are not in front of the van, who are listening online or on your iPhones or wherever you are, stuck in traffic, we are at the big SLS 20 conference in Phoenix, Arizona, sponsored by Focus. Yeah. Come it up for Focus. Which you and I are both, in different ways, products of. Right. Super absolutely. grateful for Focus. Super grateful. I, uh, and we are in a, in a small van, for those of you who can't see us yeah, right yeah. now. And I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling my abnormally large torso as, like, I, my head is hitting the ceiling, so I have to, like, take my posture down two notches. But you do. Bad yeah. posture. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I have to say that uh, Focus conferences, every time I go to them, I am so edified by the old friends that I have. And by the new friends, I get a chance to meet. So uh, for those of you guys I don't know yet, um, if I, we don't meet here, maybe we'll meet in heaven. So I look forward to that. Um, and for those of who, you who I do know, I love you guys. It's so awesome to see you. You guys are bearing the flag that I made in the oh, back. Oh, let's go bus. Let's go bus. You know, I watched uh, Akira Kurosawa's um, uh, uh, Seven Samurai, and there's this moment in there where there's one of the samurai, and he makes a flag. And I've always been inspired by it, so I always wanted to make a samurai flag. And so you guys uh, now get to uh, embrace the samurai flag for all. So thank you for allowing me to live my Akira Kurosawa Seven Samurai dreams. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here at the, uh, at the SLS uh, 2020, uh, 2020. 2020. Well, it is, it welcome is, to the 20s. Welcome to the tw roaring 20s, the you roaring guys. 20s. Okay. Hey, first of all, I just got this is awesome. We we've done podcasts before, but this is an awesome crowd. Thank you so much for bringing your lunch over and for sharing this time with us. We're just super excited. I hope some of you actually know who you were, and some of you just maybe have stumbled and like found a spot for lunch and saw there's a cool van. So welcome all of you, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Colin did. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, well, you guys, we are, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with our this podcast. Is a good, this is a good thing to do. Um, Scott and I, uh, we realized, uh, at one day, I was like, Scott. One day? I said, I need you to hook me up. Would you, like, study the scriptures for me and then, like, download them so that I can be a better preacher? And, uh, and so he did. And, uh, and, and it was in that moment that he gave me this recording, and, and I was listening to it, and I realized uh, something in my heart. I said that, uh, that uh, the scriptures, when they're studied alone, they don't have the same life to them. And so I said, Scott, let's get together and let's actually study them together and make a recording of it. Can I tell them the real version of the story? Yes. So Father Peter asked me to help him, yeah, with background prep for his homilies, and so can you just do some studying? Just, just give me a little crash course on what's going on. And he listened to him for about two weeks, maybe not even that. Yeah. 
And then he came to me and he said, Scott, your lessons are profoundly boring, and I <laughs> cannot stand them. Can I, we just have a conversation instead? Right. It's Which was the right really, thing to say. It was That's true. I didn't want to yeah. out you in front of everybody. You've done but it on so many podcasts. I know. So but publicly. now that I see all of you guys, I feel embarrassed that That's, I would ever criticize reasonable. you. No, it's reasonable. Oh, Lord have mercy. So, he will. He will. Um, so, so, but, but then Scott came to me and he said that there, he said, actually, that's an ancient tradition in, uh, in the church and, and for, the, for the Hebrew people is that there's the Havarim. And the Havarim are the group of people that you study the scriptures together. And, and it's a group of people because it's actually never, have, it's never meant to have been alone. Yeah, well, it, well, that's yes and no. So, I mean, this is the, the beautiful ethos of this, and this is the Havarim that we talk about. So there is a place for studying the scriptures on our own. There is a place for going in quietly and going into the Adoration Chapel and taking our Bibles and, and reflecting with God, just God and us. But, right. but in the church's mind, it's never supposed to stay there. It's supposed the, the most uh, treasured place of the scriptures is in the liturgy, for one thing. Right. But it's not supposed to stay there either. We're supposed to go and discuss. And, and we think of you know, Bible study and talking about scriptures together and you know, it sounds like this very peaceful, we're all going to sit around a table and hunch over our Bibles and, like, have polite conversation. But in the Jewish tradition, where this, the ethos of our show kind of comes from, it wasn't that. It was, it was arguing and fighting and, you know, wrestling together over these things. Like, I don't think that's right. And I, I totally got something other, different from this. And, you know, joking and laughing and fighting and arguing, wrestling together with the scriptures. Because if you've studied the Bible for any length of time, you know that it's super weird. And there's all sorts of things that just don't make sense. You're like, well, I kind of heard it this way. I was like, no, that's stupid. That's not right. It's probably this way. And right. I, I don't say it's stupid. But yeah, yeah. But, but sometimes I think we have too much overly maybe fake reverence for the Bible in that we don't take it seriously enough to really wrestle with it and say, no, this doesn't make any sense. I know it's the word of God and I trust in that, but I'm not going to trust in it in the way that I will not say anything. I'll just sit here and cower under my ignorance and confusion I want to work this out. I want to figure it out. I want to fight about it. And I want to argue about it. And I want to debate this. Right. And the best place to do that is with a group of brothers or sisters or a priest friend that you happen to have in a van next to you. Whatever it is, <laughs> that's the most appropriate thing to do after you have reflected on it on your own. So our pedagogy for the show is we have a rule that we will never talk to each other about the readings before the show. We read them on our own. We study them to whatever degree we do. Thanks. And then, but we don't discuss them until we get on the show, and then we go after it. And it's always so edifying, and, and there's so much fruit in it. But yeah, what you said, and I kind of cut you off, the show is it's just a reflection on all four readings from the Sunday Mass, right? So the first reading from the Old Testament. Which is the, Isaiah, uh, chapter oh. 60, verses 1 through 6. Uh, oh, yeah, this nice upcoming segue. Sunday is the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord. Mm. So, uh, and... Uh, for those of you who uh, like uh, campus and college ministry, uh, it's St. John, John Neumann. Oh, no, that's he doesn't do campus ministry. Never mind. That was St. John Neumann. Neumann. <laughs> this is Neumann, which is very different. I so. like that you said St. John Neumann Join, as well. Did, is that what I said? A little bit. Okay, that's what bit. happened. So our first reading on is Isaiah chapter 61 through 6. Surprise, we're reading from the book of Isaiah again. We do that a lot. <laughs> Our responsorial psalm this week is coming from Psalm 72, verses 1 through 2, 7 through 8, 10 through 11, and 12 through 13. And the response itself from verse 11. And then uh, the second reading is from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 3, verses 2 to 3a, jumping to 5 and 6. Indeed, indeed. And our gospel is coming from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the visit of the Magi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All okay. Right. Well, good night, everybody. Thanks Thank for coming. You. That was really great. That was a fun podcast. Scott, I really know it's okay. They're not We're, laughing. We got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. That's probably, this is good. We can test our material out on what we don't see anybody reacting to. We can try it on you guys, and then you go like, oh, that was dumb. Deacon Chris yeah, is laughing. So just, yeah, thanks. Thanks laughing for that. everything. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. All right, so Isaiah. So we start with Isaiah. Even despite the fact that someone gave you a bag of famous Amos cookies. Yes. This which is, is awesome. So, so for those of you who know the, uh, the uh, uh, podcast, if you guys are eating famous Amos cookies whenever we talk about the book of Amos. Which is yeah. like once every three years. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but it's a good enjoy, moment. Enjoy your cookies. I'm going to try to have one, but I think I lost them. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so Isaiah. Right, so Isaiah. Talk Isaiah. to me about Isaiah. Well, so Isaiah, um, Isaiah probably shows up in the first reading at Mass. I don't know. I don't have the stats on this, but probably more than any other book of the Old Testament. Yeah. There's partially because oh, Isaiah itself is so dense. There is so much Isaiah. And I and it's really long. I mean, there's really a lot long. of 66 Isaiah. chapters. And we're in the 60th chapter, in case you're wondering. We are. I'm, I'm of the opinion that Isaiah is even more confusing than Revelation, just because it's so, it spans so much. So you have this guy named Isaiah who's called to be a prophet in a really dark time in Israel's history to go and speak truth to the powers that be and warn people that they need to turn from their evil ways and turn back to God. And so you have part of Isaiah, which is talking about his present moment, which is during the reign of the Assyrian. Empire, when Israel is, uh, is going through their civil war and they're about to be, you know, the northern kingdom will be taken into exile. But he's also looking forward to the time that the southern kingdom of Jerusalem and the temple and the great holy city will also be attacked and destroyed. But then he's even looking further than that to our time when God will restore it and rebuild his kingdom. And then he's looking further than that into the new heavens and the new earth that are to come at the end of all time. So, I mean, this is a book that literally spans everything. Yeah. So I always think, we, I always used to talk about this as the bad news and the good news. So the bad news is you've been unfaithful, you've turned away from God, there's going to be punishment. But then the second half of the book is the good news is that God's going to come back and he's going to restore you. But today I started thinking about is the bad news, the good news, and then the really, really good news, which sort of past, present, and then future. So the bad news, yeah, we sinned. Yeah, we've broken covenant with God. But looking forward to how God's going to restore it, but then looking all the way forward to Jesus coming again, quite frankly. And, and sometimes scholars think about Isaiah as the fifth gospel because it is so, so much of the heart of what the gospel is, the coming, the birth, the ministry, the life, the passion, the death and resurrection of Jesus is embodied in the book of Isaiah. And we are in one of these little sections. We're at the end, right? We're in chapter 60. So we are looking toward the way future, not the way back machine, but the way future machine. Right. Into, well, here's what I struggle with. So I'll be honest with you. I was thinking about this Talk during Mass me. this morning. Okay. Um, what I struggled with is I, I'm reading Isaiah, and it's a beautiful passage about, really about the coming of the Magi, which is, it's not really shocking why the church chose this <laughs> first reading to go with the gospel. But I was, I was overly thinking of how to make this applicable today because all of the scriptures, there's what we call uh, proximate fulfillment and remote fulfillment. So there's a fulfillment of all the things in the Old Testament that God said is going to happen. But then there's levels of remote fulfillment in that, you know, these things that happened thousands of years ago are not simply for the people thousands of years ago. They're actually for you and I as well in 2020 and trying to figure out, okay, how do we apply this now? And I kept honest to goodness coming back to how unbelievable it is, and I, I kind of get why a lot of modern secular scripture scholars don't believe this could have possibly been written by Isaiah, because it's just too prophetic. It's too on the money as to 
who Jesus was and what he was going to do. There's no way someone could have foreseen in that detail what was going to happen. And so a lot of scholars say, no, Isaiah didn't write any of this. But this morning I actually just sat with the fact of what if he did? And what if God is that good and that true that he will show us what he's, he's that, he's that much of a friend that much of a father that he's willing to actually let us into his plan. Yeah. Hey guys, here's what I'm going to do. Because sometimes we think of God as this distant, far off father, and we can God is unknowable, and yes, he is unknowable, and God is unreachable. Yes, he is. He's you know in a certain sense unreachable, but he's a God who is unknowable and and unfully you know comprehensible, who lets us into his plan. And I was just thinking of how cool that is, and how Isaiah had no idea. He's like, all right, so people are going to come from the east with, like, dromedaries and camels, and there's going to be a great light and stars, and all right, man, I'll, I'll write it down. I don't know what that means exactly, but yeah. then the hindsight of the life of the church of, like, oh, wow, you well, did that. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about this in relationship to um, <clears throat> how we encounter stories. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys like mysteries. I don't know if you guys uh, were into the... the um, in, there was a TV show a few years ago called Lost, and l- yeah, so <laughs> yeah. so those people who, who, who if you if you saw the show, one of the things that was so fun about it is that you would get a clue. Somebody's name would be a philosopher, and then in fact they would be embodying that philosophy, or somehow there would be a bunch of other kind of clues that would be placed throughout, and then all of a sudden, as you're starting to place those clues together, you feel awesome. I mean, honestly, I think that that's actually the, stru- the, the structure of the scriptures is meant to, uh, is to engage our minds in such a way that we feel awesome when I read Isaiah and I say, oh, you mean, hold on, Isaiah, God had planted the story in Isaiah in such a powerful and potent mode that he could actually see in some ways what was coming. It, yeah. <clears throat> there's a, another, another uh, moment in pop culture that that's happening in is Star Wars. Okay, so Star Wars, it's hot right now. Everybody's like, have you seen Star Wars? Have you seen Star Wars? And, you're, and, and, and I have an insight for you guys. Okay, this is the whole thing about Star Wars. Star Wars is just episode four, okay? Episode four is the, a new hope, the moment where Luke Skywalker becomes Luke Skywalker. And the whole But I was series. going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> that one? Yeah, that one. Nice. That one. That one. That was nice. Done. Do it. Nice I do what I done. can. I can pull some stuff once in a while. Yeah, man. And I'm not all Bible. <clears throat> and that the whole, the whole kind of, um, the whole reason why 7, 8, and 9 are really just, they just feel like episode 4 is because it's a reflection of what does it look like to have a messianic story expressed in others. And so I, I, th- I think that the Star Wars is actually trying to take on the whole structure of the scriptural life that we're meant to have. Because our whole lives are supposed to be reflecting upon how does the Christ story manifest within our lives. And so here, here Isaiah, he, he hadn't even encountered Christ, but he was so surrendered to God that he could have a vision of, of, these, uh, of these prophets coming and being able to see him. So be, because of his, his profound and full dedication to God, and that's, that's really what we're meant to do, is we're meant to say, when I surrender myself to God, I actually get to see God manifest his story within my life. Well, you also can't underestimate the fact that the scriptures, yes, the scriptures are the inspired word of God, but I mean, if you, the reason the scriptures are so 
attractive and appealing to people far outside of Judaism and Christianity is that they encompass the human story. It is a people trying to make sense of why is the world so dark? Why is there so much hopelessness and bleakness? And will, if there is a God, will he ever come and save us? Right. That, that is the human experience. That's why Star Wars actually looks the way that it is, because right. it's telling the human story. Not to mention Spielberg was a, a Jewish man who probably on some level was formed by the Torah. I mean, it's in there. This right. human story exists, and it's manifest in these ways. And so you just even if you listen to the words of our first reading, Arise, arise, Jerusalem, your light has come. Imagine a people who are just beaten down by darkness, beaten down by a culture that is oppressive and out to get them and they feel alone. I don't know if you can associate or resonate with a culture like that, but, you know, arise, your light is coming. And it's future tense in Isaiah. It's coming. It hasn't come yet. Right. The glory of the Lord will rise upon you. Behold, darkness will cover the earth, thick darkness on the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And then nations will come to your light kings to the brightness and it talks about people coming from afar with children wrapped up and camels will come from Midian and Sheba going go, bearing gold and frankincense myrrh doesn't show up here yeah I but don't wait, know why there's myrrh <laughs> but this is the human longing this is why it's not that scripture is something that has somehow manipulated human emotions it is that every human emotion is on some level longing for what the scriptures are giving us why is the world such a mess? And will anyone come and save me? Is there anyone to come and comfort me? And the scriptures say, yes, even when you don't see it or feel it yet, it is coming. Yeah. Trust me, just wait and look for it. Well, and, and that's where we get into the responsorial psalm. 72. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Uh, like, you guys ever, I don't know if you ever feel like you're working in obscurity when trying to live a life of faith out on your campuses, in your lives, in your families. Sitting in your van. Sitting in your van. Yeah. You, you know, th th there's something obscure about being like courageous and to say, I'm going to go to daily mass. And your roommates are like, I'm going to go and do drugs. And you're like, well, okay, so here we go. This is, they're, they're, and, you, and, and like people are looking at you and, and they say, you, sometimes you feel like Rudolph. You know, you say, uh, you know, you get excluded from the reindeer games, ah, man. This is it. Rudolph. By the way, I still think that Rudolph should be a symbol of the Catholic underground. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, full, like, because let's be honest, you know what I'm saying? There's a storm raging. We got excluded from the reindeer games, but only we are the bearers of the light to be able to see through the storm. So, like, that's for real. I want to write a story about, about Rudolph. As, I, as an adult, I want to I want to do the Rudolph adult story. That, like, jaded, like, bitter, yeah, former jade, celebrity. No, no, no. I like, don't know. <laughs> like an ascetic in the wilderness. You oh, know, that's better. That's better and than like, mine. Then, do that like, one instead. You know, and then somehow yeah. he shows the light, the light. But but what happens is that everybody's gonna have to do what we do if they want eternal life. We just have we've got a jump start on it. You know what I'm saying? Like every nation on earth will adore you, O Lord. And that's the best part is that, w that the victory is won by Jesus, and that we actually are just participating to help people to live their eternal destiny now, even if it sometimes feels like we're working in obscurity. Yeah, man. One more word about that. I I love it. One more thing I just want to slip in about the Psalm 72. And we've said this on the pot. This actually showed up somewhere else during Advent, I believe. And we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. The original context for Psalm 72, and I think this is pretty cool. We believe that the original context for Psalm 72, it was a psalm that was presumably written, perhaps by David, at the coronation of his son Solomon. Like literally on coronation day when he was going to have the crown put on him, 
David drafted this psalm, this song, to be sung over the coronation of his, of his son, the King, King Solomon, which if you know the rest of the story of Solomon, everything that is listed here that we are praying and hoping that this king will do, he did not do. Yeah, I mean, we, we associate Solomon with the great wisdom and all this stuff, and there was some good things he did, but right. then he turned far away from God, and he made it about himself, and he acquired wealth and tons of wives and, and an army so he could, could you know, conquer nations and make himself great. He turned away from all of these things, which the beauty of Psalm 72 is that it says, yes, we're praying for these things about this particular king, but ultimately we're praying for Jesus, who will manifest the things that our earthly kings could never do. He was never able to actually embody the things that are prayed for in the psalm. And so then it seems what David was praying for will be fulfilled and come true in another, another son of David, who is Jesus. And so it's fitting that we sing this psalm on the day that we remember all of the nations coming to adore Jesus. So I just want to say that. It's kind of cool. I like that. All right, Ephesians. Ephesians. Well, Ephesians is actually a lot of the same that we were talking about from the first reading. It's like, same. It's same. <laughs> Ditto. Is it, it's you, not. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit. Namely, that the mysteries may know to be by revelation. It was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Friends, do you guys realize that we have absolutely every single gift of grace that has ever been available to us if we're willing to open our hearts to it? Literally, like, you get the, the level of your surrender is in direct proportion to the grace that the Lord wants to give you. So if you, if you want to give everything, you get everything. That's why we've got saints. We've got saint of the month club. That's why we've got all these images and holy people running around saying, like, pleading with you, saying, like, please, for the love of anything, be holy. <laughs> well, it's cool. You, you brought up lost. And I actually think, and we have some lost people, but some lost fans, not lost people. Lost fans. Where are they? Lost sheep. Um, <laughs> They're lost. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So here's, Paul talks about the mystery. He says it was made known. What does he say? Um, this, this, this thing was, this gift was given to me for your guys' benefit so that the mystery would be made known. One of the things that I found most frustrating in my own Catholic faith when I was growing up, and it wasn't really anybody's fault, it was right. just that I didn't get it, was I felt, and I, this probably wasn't even reality, but as a little kid and probably a middle schooler, I always felt that every hard question I had that I asked, you know, the youth minister or whoever it was, <laughs> the answer was always some version of, it's a mystery. Oh, These things, yeah. Well, why do we believe this about Mary? Oh, it's a mystery. But how did she we get assumed into heaven that sinless and Jesus rose? The, what, what, do you, what is that all about? Oh, it's a mystery. And I, maybe I was just of a particular generation where it was, we weren't very well formed. And so we just defaulted to it's a mystery, which I hated because it told me, what, what it said to me was, oh, it's either just a secret that only God knows and he's keeping from you. Or is just something you can't really understand yet, little kid. And I didn't like either of those options. And that's totally to misunderstand what mystery is. And Paul gets it. And actually, lost is actually my favorite representation of the theological meaning of mystery. Because we'll take lost out of it. If you read a mystery novel, what's the point of reading a mystery novel? The point of reading a mystery novel or movie or something is not to be left in the dark. It's to have the mystery solved. Right. That's why you write or read a mystery novel, to find what the solution is. And so Lost was so beautiful because it kept giving all these clues, like you said, and then flash forwards and flashbacks and flash sidewayses, and it was a weird show. But all of these little pieces so that you can get to the 
oh, that guy was that guy, and he did that, and he's responsible for the, and Luke was his, Darth Vader was his father, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. That's what a mystery is. It's not, so when Paul talks about our faith as a mystery, it's not something that God is keeping from us or hiding from us. It's something that God utterly wants to reveal to us, but it is so profound and so beautiful and the narrative is so rich, you can't, all, you can't do it all at once. You can't read the last page of a mystery novel. You can't watch the last season of Lost before watching all the other ones or it won't make any sense. That's why, according to Paul, God had to take so long with salvation history to manifest this beautiful narrative of what he is doing in his human story. And what has been manifest, according to Paul, this mystery is, guess what? You know what the answer to the mystery novel was? He says, it's that you and I, you people all sitting outside of the van, the Gentiles, the outsiders, everybody who you least expected is a son or a daughter of God. Boom, that is the answer to, that's the last page of the book, which, (laughs) that's the last page of the book, which Paul wants you sitting on the edge of your seats for. He's like, do you know what the mystery was that God prepared from all of time and humanity? And you're like, what? What's the answer? And he's like, it's you. And you're like, what? What do you mean it's me? And he's like, it's you. It's that God crafted all of salvation history so he could come and save you and you could be his son and you can be his daughter. And you're like, me? And he's like, yeah, you. Yeah. Like, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, which gets us into a whole nother uh, set. I find that the, the secular um, storytellers in some ways end up in this place of having to deal with our Catholic ideas. We are so, our, our Catholic ideas about how what the world are, are are so important. So the good place is is getting into some really, really interesting things. The TV show. The, the TV good show, place. the good yeah. place. The TV show is getting into this crazy place of this radical personalism of love. And, and the ethic of love is is at the core and, and is, is actually one of the most powerful ethical theories that exists. If you guys don't watch the show, The Good Place, you should watch it because it's there's some there's some stuff yeah yeah it gets weird it's not perfect but it it gets weird but it it starts to end up in this catholic place but it is a secular a very secular attempt at getting to the heart of what is human existence who are we and i love that because then the church and our tradition can step in and say yeah actually that fits and here's why and that's what Paul's talking about. That's the mystery manifest. So, so we're going about to move into the gospel. But the reason why I keep on bringing up all of these kind of secular stories is because what happens is that the Christ event is about bringing the prophetic and abstract ideas of revelation and then matching them with the actual real things that exist in the world. It's an actual event that has a real measurable celestial things happening. You can go back and go to the star charts and you can say, hold on, is there such a thing as the actual Bethlehem star? Is this a real existent thing? And you can measure it so that history, time, and space are all actually coming together in the same way that God is sovereign even over the, the sitcoms that you watch on TV. And <laughs> he's, he's the sovereign God over, over writers and he is inspiring and allowing everything that in some way, even in a small way, participates in the truth to point towards the singular event of God becoming incarnate. And you can, and that's why we use our minds. I mean, that's like what I love about the study of scripture is that it doesn't, it doesn't exclude what you're actually doing in the very concrete moments of your life. It doesn't exclude Luke Skywalker. It doesn't exclude um, the, the bus ride that you took to get here. 
Well, now let's let's talk. Let's pause on that for a second, because I I don't know if you meant to give as perfect a segue into the gospel as you did. You probably did, but I think you and I are going to take it from different tacts. Yeah, I. I uh, but the line. It's God. Can we just can we just sit with the line? Because I, you guys, I do theology for a living, but the way that you just said, do you and hear this, guys? Do you remember in your life that God is sovereign over the sitcoms you watch? That maybe it's just powerful for me. Colin's laughing at me, but that's a power. Do we see God as being that big? Is right. God so big that He can even place His narrative within the sitcoms on TV? Is is that the God we believe in, or is the God, our God a compartmentalized God where right. He's over here and you know secular stuff is over here? But you're talking about the fact that you keep bringing up secular stuff. I mean, for me and the Magi, this is exactly what God has shown in his story. This is how his story has been made manifest in Matthew chapter 2. Right. So it, let's go. And that's actually, it's actually intentional to say that yeah. here are these three guys who are hanging out in probably Babylon. Prob- somewhere in Persia. We, Persia. We, Magi, the word Magi. So what, what we know about the Magi, they're not kings, by the way. Um, they don't simply certainly appear to be kings. There is a reference in Psalm 72, actually, about kings coming to the birth of this future king, son of David, and bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh and stuff like that, which is why in the tradition sometimes the magi get conflated with kings. But magi, is, it's a Persian word, so it's a word that was used around the Persian Empire, and it, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean, um, it comes from magic, magician, magi, right? Yeah, so, so someone so who card, was like... Card tricks, excellent. Card you know, tricks, kind of hat, like pulling close, rabbits out of hats. Close proximity card tricks, you can just pull them out of your mouth. Do you, you picture know, one like, of, there was like a fourth magi who had a rabbit being pulled out of his hat for Jesus, and he's like, Jesus! <laughs> Did you... He didn't get, yeah. he didn't show up in the story. Yeah, no. Um, but, you know, but it could also mean like sorcerers or, or um, astrologers, astronomers, you know, they're, they're, it can mean a lot of different People things. People who deal in, in obscure, I mean, like powerful, obscure things. Powerful, sometimes obscure, but we're also dealing, so when we use the word secular, we mean something very specific in this day and age, but if you place that in the ancient world, it doesn't have the same meaning because spiritual, you did not separate regular everyday life from spiritual realities in the ancient world. So right. these are, pro- you know, these are probably big, important scientists, astrologers, magicians, but they're important and they're not obscure in their society because no. the spiritual world or the non-visible not, world is obs- a big deal. Right. They're not obs- they're But even not what obscure. they're studying is not obscure. Well, no, this is they're the going into the minutia of it. Well, yeah. I mean, so that's, that's like that's any time you talk to a big academic. I mean, just think about your big brainy professors. You're like, whoa, what are you even talking about? You know? <laughs> yeah. like, you, you, talk, you, you look at some of the academic work of Tolkien, for instance, and you're like, oh, Lord, have mercy. I want your writings, but I'm going to leave your academics alone. You know what I'm saying? Well, I do know. Except for that one guy in the back. So, no, I, I'm just pointing. I, I know, know. It's cool. I, it's cool. Okay. So here, here's. I, I, oh, ah, my mind is blowing up with, hit, with hit thoughts me. of the magic this morning. And I, here's another thing that hit me at mass this morning. So I'm sitting in mass this morning, probably with most of you. Not paying attention. <laughs> I was paying attention. I was. Don't tell him. Bishop kidding, Shapiro, I wasn't paying attention. He's, he's I was paying attention. He's on scripture. That's paying attention. No, no, but, but so we're sitting there with what, like nine thousand people, on the second day of the year in this huge mass, and and I. I come to that, between my wife and I, we have been to, I've joked about this a couple, it's not a joke, I just have reflected on it. We've been to every single focus conference in two th- since 2001, between the two of us. And we met at a focus conference. So if anybody's looking for your spouse, my wife and I met at this conference back in 2001 in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> oh, I, th- out there. I, I yeah, saw somebody waving and I was, was like, wow, wife. that one's, somebody's looking to date. <laughs> I'm just saying, I was, no, it's your wife. Okay, good. But, what, like, what, hey, I'm, <laughs> but what I'm getting at, so I, 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 
I come to these conferences and I'm honored to be here and I love speaking at them when I can and you know, doing the thing. But there's always this understanding that I'm going to come to the, to the Focus Conference, to the SEEK or to SLS or whichever it is, and that's where everything's going to change. That's where the world will be turned upside down. That's where, because we feel surrounded by all of this powerhouse spirituality and these amazing speakers and we're being inspired and all of this stuff is going on like this is where everything's changing. And what I kept reflecting on in the midst of 9,000 other people and 8 billion priests and cardinals and bishops <laughs> was how utterly and totally obscure the birth of Jesus was. And we know it. I mean, our neighbors have, you know, things in their front yard that glow and, you know, the, the chipped plastic things. I mean, it's so ubiquitous in our culture. You know the chipped plastic glowing nativity things? Oh, nativities. I it's was a like very chipped glowing thing. plastic things in your neighbor's yard. I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> oh, no, that was made sense in my head. Nativity right. scenes. But, yeah, nativity <laughs> scenes. <laughs> plastic but nativity But the plastic light-up ones. Yeah, light-up. Yeah, yeah. I just bring those because it's such a ubiquitous. I mean, everybody knows this story. And, and the whole, our whole culture, whether you believe in anything or not, we all sort of stop to celebrate this what's now become very secular holiday, which is ultimately celebrating the birth of Jesus. We are celebrating it whether people know it or not. I, I love in Boulder, Colorado, where we're from, what, what? one of the Boulder, most... Boulder, shout out. There it is. Yes, go back. One of the most secular cities in the United States of America, probably the world, every advent, there is a giant star that is lit up and hangs over our incredibly secular city. And I know that it's termed the holiday star. It's a reflection on the beauty of the season. I mean, there's, there's beautiful ways that it's spoken about non-religiously. But you can't get away from the fact that every Advent, there's a giant star hovering over Boulder, Colorado. Except for one night when Scott Stop accidentally... It. That's not... That's a different... <laughs> yeah, d knocked out the one lights. Night but it was one night in 1997. Yeah, 97. So was, a... Yeah, but... but just anyway. that once, though. Just that one time. But anyway, all of that is to say, I, I think it's easy to forget how totally and completely obscure the birth of Jesus was. And I just wonder what that would have been like, even for the Holy Family, who actually knew the reality of what's going on. I imagine you're the Holy Family, you make it down to Bethlehem, and there's this whole chain of events. Nobody will let you have any room, no family will take you in. I mean, imagine the shame, the dishonor of everything that's going on. They're cast out. No family. Imagine going to a city where your family lived where your extended family, your cousins, your nephews, your uncles, everything, and no one will even give you or your nine-month pregnant wife a couch to crash on. You ever think about that? There's more to this story. There is shame and there's dishonor and nobody wants anything to do with the holy family. I, surely somebody's got a couch, right? No, uh, sorry, you guys, we can't. Maybe you can sleep in the garage. Maybe you can sleep where the animals are because we're not going to put you on the street, but... This is a sad event. This is a, this is a tragic painful, moment. Painful, painful event. Painful. And then Jesus is born. And magicians show up from Persia bringing you gold. And then they go home. And some shepherds come. They came earlier. And they bow homage. And animals are kind of hovering around. And then they go home. And the newspapers never show up. And it doesn't make it into any major stories. And you go back and you live in obscurity for 30 years. I mean, the utter obscurity of the, one of the most singular nights in all of human history needs to be reckoned with because we want the world to change in an event like this. We want the 9,000 people and 8 billion priests, this to be the moment they're like, yeah, everything will change. 
But it is when we go back into the obscurity of our lives where everybody forgets what we're doing and what actually happened here, and nobody cares that you were in Phoenix, that the world is going to change from underneath you. That's where God acts. That's where he goes. That's where important, presumably, because they have camels, so they're obviously wealthy, that's where magi come to seek out Jesus. In the middle of nowhere, someone's garage cave stable where the animals are because no one would even give the Holy Family a couch to sleep on. That's where they go in utter sadness. And it's not sadness in the same way, but it is painful yeah. and utter obscurity. Well, and that's precisely why when we look and we're people of the Beatitudes, we're a people who are configured to the cross of Jesus Christ, who are hungry and thirsty and mourning, mm. who are trying to make peace, who are trying to be meek, who, who, are, who are actually suffering persecutions. We're a I people. don't know if we're trying to be meek, but it's, it fine. meekness finds you one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, w when you have the power to act and you choose not to, that's hard to it's hard to maintain that. Yeah. And so it's like we're a people of the Beatitudes of these sufferings and these moments of these obscure things to where you're saying, I have to do the right thing right here and now, even if it will never be understood. Even if, even if out, out of this, I, I will be like the Christ child, like this incarnate moment, and I will trust and put my trust in God to say, God, you will do a beautiful, powerful thing out of this moment of surrender where nobody is there. Except for a couple seculars. A couple <laughs> outsiders. Right. And here's where wow. your sitcom line comes back in. And, and this is what I, I was thinking about this the, in the weeks leading up to this conference. Um, and it, it kept, I keep wrestling with it because I don't understand all the details. But here's what we know. We got a group of magicians, magi, astrologers, astronomers, whatever exactly these guys are. Academics. Academics. Presumably living in somewhere around Persia. Probably somewhere around, like you said, Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. They're probably from somewhere near Baghdad. That's, that's what our best guesses would be, which is the place where Israel actually dwelt in slavery for a very long time, where the book of Daniel, which foretold precisely when the Messiah was going to be born, was penned, where I bet there were a couple copies left behind, where if someone was really curious about the world and seeking wisdom, maybe they picked up some of these obscure texts and read about them, and maybe they were inspired, and maybe they began to study other things that they've read, and maybe they began to watch the skies and realize that all of creation is doing and pointing towards something, and eventually they get on the road because they recognize from these obscure writings that they found from an enslaved people who used to live among them that something significant was about to happen to the world, and they found a star that led them where? To somewhere in Judea. And it, it becomes clear in the story that, <laughs> I don't know how this worked on the night of Jesus' birth or, or, or in Epiphany, but we do get the sense that there is not a little, you know, star. It's not like Boulder. It didn't come and hover right over the manger. Because the Magi wander, they travel for a long time, and they make it to Jerusalem. And they say, well, there's a king going to be born. There's stars that tell us it's around here. Where would a king be born? In the palace. So they go to the capital city, and they go to the palace, and they find the king. And they're like, where's the newly born king? And Herod who is a bloodthirsty tyrant, who is terrified of having his power stripped away, is like, I don't know, what do you guys, where do you think it's going to be born? What do you mean a baby's going to be born? 
And, but they go to where they think is the most logical spot. And so well, here's what I've been... There's logical, but there's also nature. I mean, there's, uh, there's Jupiter goes into retrograde motion directly sure. from, uh, if, when you're in Jerusalem, directly over Bethlehem, because and it's literally right there. And, and so when, as you're paying attention... And then when they leave signs. Jerusalem, they find it. Right. But that's not where they stop first. They right. find they, that eventually. Because well, it points to Jerusalem first. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, it, and then okay. yeah. Well, you're, you're stealing my point here. Okay. But, but, um, and maybe, so maybe I'm right. Maybe, maybe it's just humans are more complicated than this. But here's what I've been reflecting on. They make it to Jerusalem. They ask, again, who they think the most logical source to ask is, is the king. Right, of course. They don't realize he's a bloodthirsty tyrant, although maybe they do. I don't know. And Herod, who has not studied these things, the, the magicians from Persia know way more about scripture than the king of the Jews does, which is telling. And so he's like, you guys, he gets his people, he gets his own kind of magi, so to speak, on this case, and he's like, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they're like, oh, uh, it says Bethlehem, I think. And they, you know, they dig up Old Testament prophecies, and they find Bethlehem. And so he tells the magi, Bethlehem. And then once they're on their way, we're told they see the star, which then again points them. Right. But here's my point. I gave a talk on discipleship yesterday, and I tried to make the case that all of disciples, we don't disciple anybody. The only true person we disciple is Jesus the Christ. And to the degree that we make ourselves about us, then we've missed it. Right. So my question became, how did the Magi find Jesus? Yes, God uses all of creation to point them in the direction. But in a very real way, how do the Magi find the Christ? They find him through a bloodthirsty, tyrannous king. The bloodthirsty tyrant shows them the way to Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. You can't get around that. How does Jesus allow these foreigners to become true disciples through an evil king who's trying to destroy Jesus? But yet, but yet, God, God can even use that to bring about and to continue on the greatest story of humanity. He uses Herod for these people to worship Jesus. And then God tells them, hey, maybe don't go back to that guy. Maybe go the other, maybe go the other way. Well, Take that, the other route home. And that's the beauty of what we get with the epiphany. The revelation of God comes after the Lord. You are willing to say, okay, I'll follow you, Lord. Where do you want me to go? I will actually follow after you. And like Abraham, he's like, I'll show you where to go when you need to go. And he's like, and I'll redirect you. And I will use everything. I will let everything be sovereign to guide you to an experience of me. Because friends, isn't that the deepest longing that we have in our hearts is yes. to actually be able to see and to know and to love God. And to, consider this. And to, and to be able to do that. And that's why this epiphany is, so, is such a powerful moment is to say that God will use even the worst of things, even the crucifixion, even Herod. But even what you just said, what, what did you say? You just gave this great explanation of discipleship. But right. who, who does it? The Jesus. Magi do it. Oh, the Magi. Oh, but who, who, who do the formula? Who, who actually take those steps? Right. They do it. They follow where they don't know the end of the path is. They go to the place that they have not seen yet. They take the step of faith like Abraham does. Guess who doesn't do it? Everybody else. Right. No one else shows up. And I bet they're wondering, like, how come none of your own people are here paying you homage in the backyard cave of somebody whose couch you won't be allowed to sleep on. Where's everybody else? I mean, do you wonder if they wondered that? And I wonder if everybody else was like, we're not going to listen to you. You're foreigners. You're pagans. You're outsiders. You don't know. Why should we listen to you and take your advice, you're outsiders, to go worship a king who's in a cave, for Pete's sake? Yeah, right. But sometimes God uses 
the obscure, the secular, the least expected. This is what Paul means in Ephesians. The faithful ones, the ones the who are willing ones. to, like Joseph, who says, I'll follow a dream. That's crazy. Yeah. Mary, who listens to an angel and complicates her whole life. Mm-hmm. The Magi, who say, I'll be, I'm willing to follow a star. The one who's willing and to... S- yeah, I, I watched the, the movie um, Faustina. Uh, there's a movie about St. Faustina. And there's this moment where, where uh, uh, the priest has an idea about Faustina. And, uh, and he goes back to Faustina and says, well, I had these ideas. And she said, oh, Jesus told me that he told you and explained everything during Mass. <laughs> and it was like, oh, cool. that's the natural state of our lives. So, friends, I... Uh, thank you so much for being here with us yeah. uh, at, uh, at Focus SLS 2020 and for being people who are willing to follow obscure movements of faith. And when you leave here, when you go back to wherever you've come from, don't forget that the world doesn't change at SLS 20. The world changes when you go back home into your own relative obscurity and you begin to forget about how powerful that was and then God swoops in and says, now will you keep walking? Yep. Now will you trust me? Will you take the next step now that the, the retreat high, the, the, the inspiration that you felt this week has begun to wore off and fade? Right. Now will you take that step, taking the tools that you've gained, gleaned, 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 and then will you walk out? And will you find me in the most obscure places? Because that's where I'm hiding, and that's where I want to meet you and where I want to find you, and will we have the guts to go? Yeah. So thank you guys for coming out today. Yeah, we love you guys. Thanks out. to Focus. Oh, my goodness. This is great. And uh, we'll be back we, next week. We do this every week. Um, and, uh, Just about. Yeah, every, uh, most of the time, unless we have a rerun, but that's, uh, that's not here. They don't need so, to know that. Yeah, they don't need to know that. You guys are <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys. Word on the Hill. Uh, God bless you. Happy LSLS to the rest of you all. Happy New Year 2020. Best growing points to you. God bless you. We love you. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.